God never creates anything or anyone by accident, without forethought and design. This message is the sixth in the series, Life. The message is entitled, Inspired with Purpose, Part 3. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we continue our series together called Life. We're going to talk this morning about, uh, continue to talk about being inspired with purpose and what that's all about, experiencing life. Jesus made a very important statement in his ministry when he was on earth. He said in John, recorded in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it to the full. I think sometimes we read that passage, we never think as much about it as we should. Jesus said, I want you to experience something very real called life, not just biological life. We all have that. Obviously, we're alive here today physically. But Jesus used a different word. I came that you might have life, and he reached into the Greek language, and he grabbed hold of a short little word. It's the word zoe. He says, I want you to experience a life that is real life, not just being alive. I want you to really be alive, because you can be alive, but not really be alive. So Jesus said, I want you to experience something called Zoe. I want you to experience the real kind of God kind of life. I want you to know what it is to have a fulfilling life and a fruitful life. Because that word Zoe actually means those two things. It means to be fulfilled and it means to be fruitful in your life. And just like any dimension of life, biologically, you have to have certain elements to exist. You cannot exist without water and air and food, nourishment. You need those things to survive. And in the same way, in the, in the spiritual realm, you need something to keep your Zoe life going. You need it, need, need it to start in your relationship with God, but you need to, to have this Zoe life sustained. And there are many elements, several elements that will sustain your Zoe life. We're looking at some of those elements. We're talking about the importance of love. You and I need to have love if we're going to have a Zoe kind of life, the love of God in us, the love of God flowing through us. We need to be inspired, that's what we're talking about in today's message, inspired with a sense of purpose. We need to have faith. We're going to move next weekend talking about the importance of faith. Don't miss next weekend because we'll talk about the value, the significance of faith in your life to have a Zoe kind of life. And then we'll wrap up the series talking about being engaged with your life in a particular way uh, that God can particularly use you, specifically use you in your life. So there's some elements that are necessary. Today I'm talking about purpose, being inspired with purpose. How, how do we have real life? How do we experience Zoe, the Zoe kind of life? We, we experience it when we know that God created each one of us on purpose for a purpose. That you were created by God uniquely, and when God made you, he made you on purpose for a purpose. Isaiah 44, verse number two says, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. Even before you were born, God said, I was shaping your life and shaping you into the person I created you to be, and you are created on purpose for a purpose. In just a moment, we'll repeat together, I was created by God on purpose for a purpose. Now, would you say it with me? I was created by God on purpose for a purpose. Again, together, I was created by God on purpose for a purpose. You were, you were created by God on purpose for a purpose. You are not an accident. You're special. That person to your right and to your left, in front of you, behind you, they're special. God made us uniquely and designed us for a plan and purpose he has in store for our lives. There's a reason for your being. 
Now, to understand God's purpose for our lives, it has to move beyond just some kind of mystical thing out there in the, in the universe somewhere. Yeah, then maybe there's some purpose for my life. Don't really know what it is, but maybe it exists. It has to move from that kind of ethereal realm to a very practical realm so you begin to realize, I, I know what my purpose is. I have a confidence about why I'm here. I begin to have some level of understanding about why God put me on the planet. God wants you to live in his will, and God wants you to know his will. God wants you to know what his purpose is for your life. Not every detail of the purpose, but certainly a general sense of what your purpose is on this planet. And so we're talking about how do you discover God's plan? How do you discover God's purpose for your life? We've been looking for the last couple of weekends at different elements to discovering the will of God for your life. And I want to continue that theme today by giving you six final things. We're going to move through them very quickly. Six things that will help you to know God's purpose and God's will for your life. Six activities, six choices that you can make that will help you in this journey. Because I believe all of us here today want to know the will of God for our lives. I believe that's your desire, and I believe that these principles will help you in that journey. The first thing I want to talk about today, if you're going to know God's will for your life, you have to learn to listen very well. You need to become a good listener. I'm going to talk about two aspects of listening. You need to learn to listen to God, and you need to learn to listen to the people that God will place in your life. But I will tell you that you need to listen, because if you don't listen well, you'll never know what God's plan is for you. Most of us do a lot more talking than we do listening. And so God says, if you're going to understand what my will is for your life, you've got to shut down your mouth a bit. You've got to stop talking so much and trying to inform me in terms of what you think your life should be. And you need to step back and listen to what I'm trying to say to you. And God wants to speak to you. God has a voice and all through the pages of Scripture, you see that God has a voice and that God desires to speak to people, regular, ordinary people like you and me, God can speak to you. How does God speak to you? Let me give you several ways that God can speak into your life. He, first of all, speaks to you through His Word. His Word, the precepts and the principles and the promises of God's Word are given to you so that you will know God's plan for your life. When you begin to study this book called the Bible, you realize that this is God's love letter to me. This is what God is trying to say to me about my life. And so the primary way that God will speak to you is by you beginning to get in to the Bible yourself and then studying as we do together on the weekends and being committed to God's Word, knowing what it says and how it works in your life. And then also, God speaks to you through your personality through your giftings, through the abilities and passions that he's given you. See, when God shaped you, he shaped you with strengths and weaknesses. You're, you have some things that you do pretty well and some things you're, you're not so good at. And those things are valuable information for you because as you get to know yourself, you're getting to know the creation that God made and you discover your strengths. And as you discover your strengths, you realize, well, that's pointing me in a direction for my life. See, if you can't sing, don't try to be a recording artist. That's not God's will for your life, okay? There's certain things that are just pretty clear, okay? If you can't do certain things, then you don't need to worry about trying to do them because it's not God's will, but what you can do will guide you in the direction of what God is calling you to do. And so that's why it's important to know something about yourself. So you're not trying to force yourself into a sort of the square peg into the round hole. And many people try to do that. They try to force themselves into a role they were not created for because they haven't learned really who they are and how God made them. And that's so freeing when you begin to understand this is what 
what I was made for. And my place is unique and my place is valuable. I need to understand where my strengths are and then also where I'm not so strong so I can find my place. And then God also speaks to you through what I would call the evidence of your fruitfulness and effectiveness in life. When you look back over your life and you say, you know what, I've really had some good fruit in that area, but you know, when I tried this, it didn't work so well, okay? That's a hint. It's God saying to you, by the way, when you do this kind of thing, it really works for you. And when you try to do this kind of thing, it, it doesn't work so well for you. And so it's, it's my way of helping you to realize that through the places you see my favor and my touch and faithfulness and, excuse me, fruitfulness in your life, that I, I'm showing you how I work uniquely through you. God also speaks to you through what I would call divine circumstances, that God sets things up in your life that, that reveal the fingerprint of God. I think all of us here today perhaps can describe a time in our life when we were asking God for guidance and we wanted to know what he wanted us to do and he uniquely set up some circumstances in our life that only God could set up. You ever had that happen before? You looked at it and said, my goodness, this was not me and this is not normal circumstances. This shows the fingerprints of God. He's doing something here. He's organizing circumstances for my life. And then God speaks to us through the inner working of the Holy Spirit, that as you saturate yourself with his word and with worship and living your life with him, the Holy Spirit's presence in you will guide you and direct you along your journey. God will speak to you in your heart as you're growing in that relationship with him. He speaks by his peace, by his guidance by the witness of the Spirit of God inside of you that requires maturity. I also quickly add here that God will never speak to you by His Spirit. Anything that's contrary to His Word, everything that God will speak to you is always measured by and judged by the truth of His Word. So it's important to learn how to listen to the voice of the Spirit guided by the Word of God. Let me give you some verses here. I love these verses because they affirm God's voice in our life. Isaiah 30, verse 21. Why don't we read this together? Let's read it aloud and loudly. You ready? Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. Isn't that beautiful to know that your own ears, your own ears will hear him. That's God. He's going to walk right behind you, and his voice will say, to the right, to the left. We can have the confidence that God will guide us. Jesus said in John 10, verse 27, my sheep that's those that know Christ, those who've given their lives to him. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, God speaks to us through his word and through the things I've just described. But also, I want to take a moment and talk about the fact that God speaks to you as well through people. In my life, I've discovered that oftentimes at critical moments in my life that God has used a mature, godly person to help me discover what his will is for my life. You need to listen to the right people. And God, if you'll ask him to, he'll put the right people in your life. You need to discern who those people are because not everybody's a right person for you, but God wants to put his, his mature people in your world and surround you with people. You have to seek those relationships out. But as you grow in those relationships, people can help you discover your journey with God. Listen to Proverbs 12, 15. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Proverbs 19, verse 20. Get all the advice advice and instruction you can so you will be wise and make good decisions the rest of your life. Proverbs 20 verse 18, plans succeed through what? Good counsel. Don't go to war without wise advice. You've got to learn to listen well, to listen to God well and to listen 
but the people that God will place in your life to listen well, to open up your ears and hear. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, that's you and I, take note of this. It's like a teacher saying, take notes about this. You're going to be tested on it. So my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. You're going to be tested on this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. God says, take a note of this. This is vital information for you. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So often we reverse those things, do we not? We're quick to speak, and we're slow to listen, and we're quick to get angry. And what helps me from time to time is to look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror, I'm reminded by the creation that God gave us as human beings. He gave us two ears and one mouth. And that quick look in the mirror reminds me that I need to listen twice as much as I speak, because you never learn anything while you're speaking. You only learn things while you're listening. And when you begin to open up your ears, there are things that God will speak into your life if you learn to listen well. Jesus said in Matthew eleven fifteen, whoever has ears, let them hear. Let me have a set of ears here this morning. They're meant to be used for hearing. Luke 8, 18, so pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. Listen well to God and to others. Number two, spend time with God consistently. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Spend time with him consistently. That's the word I want to talk about briefly this morning. I believe that all of us spend time with God, and I, I think that there's not a single person in this place or in any of our campuses this morning or watching online that you don't spend some time with God. You're doing it right now because you're in church, you're tuning into a message, you're paying attention to God's Word, so you're spending time with God. But what I'm talking about is a consistent pattern in your own personal life where you spend time with Him because you cannot expect to get guidance from God if you're not hanging out with God. You have to be around Him. You have to let Him influence the way that you think, and that happens when you're in His presence. So that's why we need to spend time with God. But here again, what's the word that I ask you, to, ask you to write down? Consistently. I've learned in my life that as I consistently spend time with God, I mean that I make a time primarily every day. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done so, to make sure you have a time every day that you spend some time with God. And I've learned this, that if I will consistently spend time with God, He begins to map out a journey for me in my life. And I begin to understand better than if I just haphazardly spend time with God. He begins to help my story make more sense. It's just like if you pick up a book, you read a little bit, and then you put it down, you don't go back and read it for a while, you kind of have to pick up where the story was. Well, the same is true with God. If you're not tra tracking with Him consistently, you can't track the story with Him of what He's trying to do in your life. And so that consistency is vital to your relationship with Him. And I often encourage people when it comes to spending time with God, I would much prefer to see someone spend five or ten minutes a day in their relationship with God than uh, every day or basically every day than to spend an hour every week or so with Him. Because that consistency is extremely valuable because God will guide you as you spend time with Him. It's found in the story of Jesus. Let me point you to a story, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse number 35. Listen to what happens. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus, what did he do? He hit the snooze button. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't say that, right? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. 
he left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prays. Let's stop there just for a moment and just digest this a bit. So it's early in the morning and it's before even the, the light, sunlight has happened, sunrise has not occurred, and so Jesus wakes up, and he gets up, and he goes out to a solitary or a, a, a private place, and what does he give himself to? Help me out. What? He goes out, and he prays. Now, think about it. This is the Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, but he's making it a priority that every morning, what is he doing with his life? He's spending time with his Father, Right? He's spending time alone with God, talking to God about his, his, his ministry, talking to God about what his day needs to look like, uh, inviting God's wisdom into his life. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, consistently in a solitary place praying in the morning. And notice what happens next, verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, come on, you don't need to be by yourself. Everybody's looking. We got a lot of things to do right here today, Jesus. Let's get busy with the program. So Simon was trying to urge him out of his place of prayer into an activity that Simon thought would be the best activity for the day. Notice now verse 38, Jesus replied, now he's replying having been with his father, right? You with me here today? He's been praying, he's been spending time with his father. Now he's going to reply out of his relationship with his father. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Very important to note this. Jesus has spent time that morning in prayer with his father and Simon comes up and says, you need to be doing some things right here, right now. And Jesus said, no, no, I, I got my directions from the father this morning. It's time to go somewhere else. I have some other work I need to do today. What you see there is you see that from the relationship with the father, he received his guidance for that day. And I will promise you that if you'll spend time consistently with God each day, he will guide and direct you. You may not always know how it's working, but he will set a divine pattern for you, divine appointments for you that only God can do in your life. But it requires consistency with him. Now this Proverbs chapter 8, beautiful passage here. If you wait at wisdom's doorway, wait in the morning at wisdom's doorway, longing to hear a word for every day, Joy will break forth within you as you listen for what, for what I'll say. For the fountain of life pours into you every time that you find me. And this is the secret of growing in the delight and favor of the Lord. Spending time waiting upon him. The third thing that's necessary, if you and I are going to know the will of God, is you need to be committed. You need to be committed. Nothing ever grows. Nothing ever prospers. Nothing ever succeeds without commitment. If you want to grow a business, you need to be committed to that business. If you want to grow a marriage, you need to be committed to the marriage. If you want to grow a friendship, you need to be committed to a friendship. If you want to improve your health, you have to be committed to a program. Whatever it is that you want to improve in your life or grow in your life requires commitment because God, listen closely, God works through your commitments. When it comes to relationship with God, commitment is a very important word and a very good thing. You need to be committed to the right things. First and foremost, you need to be committed to God. 
You need to be committed fully to him. You need to, be, need, to, need to be committed to the key relationships in your life, your family and your friendships. You're committed to those things. You need to be committed to a church family. Why? Because God will use that in your life. Commitment is a valuable thing. You need to be committed to your responsibilities. As I talked about last weekend, it's about what you have on your plate right now, not what's next in your life, but what's right now. So commit yourself to the things that are in your life right now, your relationship with God, the key relationships in your life. Commit yourself to a church family. Commit yourself to your responsibilities. And this is what I promise you, God will guide you in the context of your commitments. You live an uncommitted life, you're not committed to anything, it's going to be really hard to find God's guidance. But God guides you through the commitments that you're willing to make to the right things in your life. Notice Psalm 92, verses 13 and 14. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Certain things are never going to happen in your life until you get planted. It just won't happen. It's impossible for a tree to bear fruit without it being planted. It's impossible for a, 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 a vegetable uh, plant to bear any kind of vegetable unless it's planted. It's impossible for certain things to produce what they're designed to produce until they're planted. The same is true in your life. Get planted in the right things. When you're planted, you've made the right commitments, then God says, I'll use those commitments to shape you and get you exactly where you need to be. Be committed to the right things. Number four. Do you want to know God's will for your life? You need to avoid what I'm going to call the four I's. That's the letter I, not E-Y-E, the four letter I's. There's only one person that can cause you to miss God's will for your life. Did you know that? You might say, well, that person hurt me or that thing happened in my life. No, there's only one person that can keep you from God's will in your life. That one person is you and me. We're the only people that can keep us from God's will. The biggest problem that we have in our life is not somebody else. The biggest problem we have in our life is ourselves. It's the I, okay? Our lives are affected by the choices that we make. You have to own responsibility for your life. You can't place that on anyone else. God waits for us to cooperate with him. It is our choice to cooperate with him. He gave us a will. And I've learned over the years that there are at least four eyes that will keep you out of the will of God, four ways that you get in your own way when it comes to doing God's will. I'm going to give these to you very quickly. The first one is by living a life of impurity. When you choose to walk outside of God's will, God's word, and you choose to pollute yourself with things that God says don't do, don't be involved in that, when you let the pollution of the world, the pollution of your own pursuits sinful things in your life, what happens is you're letting darkness in, and darkness and light cannot coexist. They don't, they, don't, they don't live together, okay? And so if you're living a life of impurity, willfully choosing to go against God's will, that's going to, willfully choosing to go against God's word, that's going to keep you, obviously, outside of God's will. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter, talking about impure things, those who cleanse themselves from the latter impurity will be instruments for special purposes made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Can I just encourage you this morning? Just by, by, by 
love and care for you, if you're living outside of God's word, if you're living in some things right now that are polluting your life and poisoning your life and that are contrary to what God wants you to be and do, you know very well that it is, but you're still doing it anyway. Can I encourage you today to say, you know what, today's my day. I'm just going to let go of that. I'm, gonna, I'm repenting. I'm turning away from that. And I promise you that when you do, the purity of what God's washing and cleansing in your life will allow you to be on a better track of knowing his will. The second thing that's the eye that will get in your, your way it's how you and I mess ourselves up. It's through immaturity. The first one's impurity. The second one is immaturity. Sometimes the reason you're not discovering God's will for your life is because you just haven't grown up yet. You are still a baby. And so you still respond to things as a little kid would, and you still respond to things as a baby would. You're spiritually immature or emotionally immature. And so because you haven't dealt with that immaturity in your life, that keeps you from doing what God asks you to do. See, to do what God wants you to do in your life, you got to grow up. Amen? You can't stay a kid the rest of your life. You can't spend your life playing video games and expect to fulfill God's purpose for your life, okay? You just can't do that. You got to grow up at some point in time and accept some responsibility and step in and say, I want to be the man or the woman of God that God wants me to be. And so then you've grown up, you've made the choice. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 11. Paul writes these words, when I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things as a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. Paul says, I came to a point in my life that I said, I don't want to be a child any longer. I don't want to be immature any longer. I choose to grow up. Can I encourage you today? Make the choice to just grow up. Leave childish ways behind. I don't need to talk today about all the ways babies respond to things but, and kids respond to things, but we want to be adults in the way that we live our life. Number three, the third thing that will be the eye that will get in the way is insecurity. When you live in fear and insecurity in your life, you can't find God's will for your life because you're living, you're being influenced by fear and insecurity. You'll never be able to, to do all that God wants you to be because that insecurity will, will, will draw very tight lines around your life. You'll live in a very small circle in life when you're living in fear and insecurity. That's why Isaiah 26 verse 3 tells us the pathway out. He says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you whose thoughts are fixed on you. So we grow our trust in God. And as we grow our trust in God, it helps us overcome our immaturities. Then the fourth thing. Are you ready for the fourth one? This is the real big one, okay? What gets in your way? Impurity, immaturity, insecurity, and impatience. Oh, yeah. That's a big eye, is it not? Because we want stuff in our life. We want it quickly we want it now and and so we've got to have it in this moment and and when we do when we have this impatience it impatience always drives you to bad decisions you'll never make a good decision out of impatience and impatience in your life will cause you to make choices that are outside of God's plan and purpose for your life because you want something you want it now you try to make it happen before God is ready to make it happen in your life Hebrews 10, 36, patient endurance is what you need now. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Lamentations 3, Jeremiah the prophet writes these words in 20, verses 24 through 26. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. That is, he said, God, what I want is you. You're my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good. Everybody say it's good. 
what is it good to do? It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's a good thing when you learn to just simply wait quietly for God to do his work in your life instead of trying to make it happen yourself. Abraham is a great lesson for us in that. I don't have time to talk about him today. Number five, the fifth thing is we're moving along here in these six points. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Be joyful and be grateful. I'll give you a moment to write that down that I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. Be joyful and be grateful. Here's something that's proven throughout Scripture and it's proven by experience. Grumblers and complainers miss God's will. When you spend your time grumbling and complaining, what you're doing is you're giving place to negativity. And negativity in your life always clouds your perspective, okay? It clouds even seeing blessings. You can't even see blessings. You can't see open doors. You can't see the good things God will be doing in your life if you're spending your time grumbling and complaining. The children of Israel are a tremendous example, a negative example, but nevertheless a tremendous example for us to learn some lessons by. The children of Israel were, for four, over 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. And then finally God raised up Moses, and Moses comes in, and they deliver them out of Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. God opens up. He literally, God literally opens up dry ground for the children of Israel to walk through on the Red Sea. And then he, he drowns all the Egyptians so that their enemies are destroyed behind them. And he leads them out into the wilderness, and he wants to take them to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. What you will notice, if you read the book of Exodus, what you'll notice about the children of Israel is almost from the get-go, by the time they get out of, out of Egypt and head into the wilderness to make their way to the promised land, God wanted to take them there right away. Almost immediately, they started complaining about everything. I mean, they complained about didn't have enough food, didn't like the food they had, didn't have enough water, didn't think God was going to take care of them with the water. They had all these different complaints. They didn't like Moses. They didn't like Aaron. They didn't like anybody. They didn't like anything, okay? Because they had the slave mentality of complaining and grumbling that they carried with them for those, all those decades, and they'd not broken, broken through that pattern. They were grumblers and they were complainers, okay? So they couldn't even see the blessing in their life at that moment. And so by the time that God gets them to the edge of the promised land, Moses sends 12 spies in. Remember the story? And those 12 spies go in. And, and then 10 of them come back. They've seen Canaan. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But they come back. And the only thing they could think about were the negative things they saw in Canaan. Why? Because they were negative people. Okay? They were saturated with complaint. They could not see the promised land, they cannot see the blessing that God had in store for them because they were complaining and negative. And so they come back and God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to wait till all you die. I just want you to die. You're going to die in the wilderness. You're going to wander around for 40 years in the wilderness. I'll raise up a whole new generation that will have some level of faith in their life so I can take them in. Let me tell you something, folks. Listen closely. Negativity will kill you. It may not put you in a physical grave, but it'll put you in a grave where you're not experiencing the realness and fullness of life that God has in store. You will never make it into your promised land if you're a negative complainer. It's not going to happen. You'll miss the best blessings of God in your life. So you have to learn to be joyful and learn to be, be appreciative for what God had done. Let me read you a passage here in 1 Corinthians. Notice what happens here as Paul tells the story of the Israelites. Verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 10, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. 
All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. Think about that. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud, in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. All of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Verse number 10 gives us insight in terms of why God was not pleased with them and why their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. God's will for your life is joyfulness and gratitude. You say, I don't know if I have much joy. Well, here's how you get joy. Be grateful and joy will come. When you begin to be grateful, joy increases in your life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. The Passion Translation gives it to us this way. In the midst of everything, be always giving thanks, for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. My last point this morning, do you want to know the will of God for your life? You need to be humble, willing, and available. Humble and willing and available. Humble, you've put yourself aside. You're seeking what God wants in your life. It's not about you. Willing and available represents your embracing the opportunities that God will bring your way. One of the things that I am learning in my life is that the most important word I can ever speak to God is a simple three-letter word, and that word is yes. The greatest thing I'll ever say to God is yes, that whatever God asks me to do, my answer is yes, that God's not, never going to get a no from me, okay? My answer to God is yes. Now, I'm not saying that God never gets a no from me. I'm still in that journey learning how to always say yes to God, but what God wants from you and me is he wants a yes, that whatever God asks us to do, no matter how great it might seem or how small it might seem, seem if God is asking me or commanding me to do it, my response needs to be Yes, God, I'm willing to do exactly what you say. God, if you're asking me to serve in the parking lot, my answer is If you're asking me to serve with the kids in the children's ministry, my answer is If you're asking me to serve as a host at church on the weekends, my answer is Whatever it is, God, that you want me to, it doesn't have to be great, doesn't have to be glamorous, doesn't have to be awesome, and aw- aw- it doesn't have to make me feel so awesome and great, but whatever you ask me to do, God, I've already made up my mind that whatever it is, my answer is yes. Whatever you want me to do is yes, because it's not about me, it's about you, and so I'm going to get the nose out of my life, I'm going to say yes to you. Let me tell you a story. Paul the Apostle, when he was called to plant churches and to nurture churches in the first century. He went on what's called missionary journeys. We call them missionary journeys. They were, they were really church planting, church encouraging journeys. So he traveled to different places and go to different churches as the apostle trying to help them grow in their faith and learn the doctrine of Christ and those kinds of things. So that was his ministry. And it was a very difficult ministry, a very hard thing. It wasn't glamorous at all. He went through all kind of trouble, ended up in jail many times for preaching the gospel. And on his first missionary journey, he traveled with a partner by the name of Barnabas. And 
They also invited a young man to go with them by the name of John Mark. And so it was a threesome. There are three people. John, uh, John Mark assisted with Paul and Barnabas, and they go preach. And about halfway through the journey, I don't know exactly when it was in the journey, but John Mark, who was this young man, said, I don't, I don't like this. I'm going back home. I'm done. You know, I don't, this is too hard for me. I think I'm going back home. And so he left and deserted Paul. When it came time for Paul to go on his second mission, he's trying to determine who's going to go with him. And instead of Barnabas going, he knows that John Mark certainly is not going to go with him. And so he's finding some new partners. So he finds a new partner by the name of Silas. And so it's now Paul and Silas, not Paul and Barnabas. And so the second journey, it's Paul and Silas, and they need a helper too. And so they go to one of their churches and they say, you know, we need somebody here to just to travel with us. It's going to be hard. Can't promise you anything other than a hard time. It's going to be difficult, but I need an assistant. Someone will travel with me. Just do whatever's necessary on the journey. I'm not, I can't, again, can't promise you any benefits. All I'm going to promise you is it's going to be hard, okay? Anybody willing to volunteer? There's a young man in that church that raised his hand and said, I, I'm willing to go. Now, I'm, obviously, I'm paraphrasing the story here. I'm telling the story. I'm not sure exactly. I wasn't there, okay? Just so you know, okay? <laughs> I'm old, but I'm not that old, okay, okay. So Timothy said, I'll do this. Paul said, you sure you want to do it? Timothy said, yeah. My answer is yes. yes. All Paul could promise him was was a challenging, tough time. He said, come and help me encourage these churches. And Timothy said, yes. Yes. Timothy worked with Paul for many, many years and formed an amazing relationship. And now, as you open up the pages of your Bible, you will find in the New Testament two books that are attributed to his name, First and Second Timothy. Why are those books in the Bible? Those books are in the Bible because we trace it all the way back to the moment that Paul said to Timothy, are you willing to go with me on this journey? Are you willing to follow me on this journey? Are you willing to help me out on this journey? And all of that traces back to the moment when Timothy said what? You never know where your yes will lead you. Are you hearing me? Okay. You never know where the right yes will lead you in your life. So Timothy said yes. Now take a look at what happens as we're wrapping up here this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, as many years later, Paul writes these words from a Roman prison. And he writes them to the Philippians that he loved dearly. He wants to see them, but he can't come because he's, he's incarcerated for the gospel. And he writes and says, if the Lord is willing, I will send Timothy to see you soon. Then when he comes back, he can cheer me up by telling me all about you and how you're getting along. He says, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And then notice verse number 20. There is no one like... Are you reading that with me? What does it say? There's no one like who? Timothy, for having a real interest in you. Everyone else seems to be worrying about his own plans and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy. He has been just like a son to me in helping me preach the good news. See, it was that kind of character in Timothy. It was the ability and willingness to say yes. Dear ones, hear me today. You don't have to worry about all the great things God might want you to do with your life. Don't worry about those. What you need to be more concerned about is, are you willing to do the small things in your life, okay? Because if you'll do the little things, if you'll say yes to the little things, don't ever think you'll say yes to the big things if you're not willing to say yes to little things told you this before. I had people tell me, oh, pastor, I'm going to start tithing when I hit the lottery, okay? When I make my first million, I'm going to start tithing. No, you won't. If you can't tithe on $10, you're not going to tithe on a million dollars. Are you hearing me? Okay. 
Don't fool yourself and think, well, when I get there, then I'm going to really serve God. No, God's saying, will you serve me right where you are? Will you say yes to me? Will you be humble and willing and available? Let me conclude with this last verse in Psalm chapter 25, verse number nine. Why don't we read this together as we conclude today? He guides the humble and what is right and teaches them his way. If you want to be guided, you have to be humble, you have to be willing, and you have to be available. Would you bow your heads as we pray today? Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. We're grateful for the word of God and how it speaks to our lives. We ask, Lord, that you'll help us to apply these principles that we've learned. And Lord, I especially pray as we wrapped up in this message that you'll help us to be yes people. Let us say yes to you. Remove all the resistance in our life to you and let us say yes to the smallest thing you would ask us to do. Our answer is going to be yes. Lord, take this word, apply it to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away, all things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. and You begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.